Acts chapter 5, <clears throat> we're going to be reading verses 17 through 50 or 42. There's not 52 verses in this chapter. 17 through 42. It says, Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of this thing. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. 
Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the beauty of this day around us, uh, the wonderful fall weather. We thank you for how in your creation we see you at work. We see how you have created goodness and how you provide for us on a regular daily basis. Father, all these things speak to us in powerful ways. But Father, coming into your house and singing your praises together and reading your word together and praying for one another, Father, that's even more powerful a statement as to how much you love us and how much you care for us and how much uh, you are for us through your son, Jesus Christ. He's the, the best, the greatest, the most wonderful statement of your love to us, that he came and gave his life that we might have life here and now and life eternal, Father, with you. And so we praise you for how you love us and how you care for us and how you speak to us uh, through the things around us, through the people around us, through your son, Jesus Christ, and through your word, which we are reading today. Father, as we consider these words um, today, as we think about them, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher and our guide. Your spirit would help our hearts and our minds to understand what we are reading and what we are hearing. Father, let your spirit guide us so that we would know how to respond to your word in worship and in faith and in obedience, Father. I pray that you guide me. I ask for your help as I preach your word. I pray that you would help me to speak with clarity and um, to speak uh, your word and the message you've given me faithfully. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So there's a lot of um, notable statements, quotes, replies that you can find in the Bible. I think of a couple in particular. Um, Paul, in the latter part of the book of Acts, he's been arrested and has pled his case to Caesar. And so he's making his way through some of the more local courts and he finds himself before King Agrippa. And he's sharing with King Agrippa his own testimony about how God came to him on the road to Damascus and, and how he was saved and then given the task of sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. He's sharing that with Agrippa and he's pressing Agrippa just a little bit about these things. And he says, you know what I'm talking about. You're familiar with, the, with what the prophets said. And in Acts 26, verse 28 and 29, it says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And then Paul replied, and get this, this is a bold response. Short time or long, I pray that God not only, that God not only you, but all who listen to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. That's a bold response, isn't it? Agrippa's like, you got to try to get me to be a Christian? And Paul's like, oh yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Exactly. You and everybody else I talk to, I want to become just like me, except for these chains. I think of another bold response is one from the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know those guys and, and the fiery furnace and everything. And they're standing there in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's brought them in because he's heard that they won't bow down 
to his giant statue, and he says, I'll give you another chance, gentlemen. When you hear the horns, when they play, I want you to bow down, or you're going in that, that furnace over there. And it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. This is in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. I have no idea where they got that idea. They had never seen anybody survive a fire before. And yet their faith in God was so strong. He will deliver us. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Can you imagine standing before the king whose reign has grown and has taken in your country and all these other countries around you in the known world, and he says, do this, and you say, I don't think so. And I don't care what you threaten me with, my God is able to deliver me from that, and even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow down because we worship the one true God. Bold, bold statements. And that's what we have here in the book of Acts chapter 5. Uh, Peter and the apostles have been preaching there in the temple area. Um, just in the previous verses, I'm assuming these are the ones that you covered um, just before last week. Uh, in addition to preaching, they're healing people. And the high priest and his party, uh, the Sadducees, are upset about it. And so they have them arrested, and they have them thrown in jail. And that's where we pick it up in verse 17. And I see here in this encounter, when they stand before the high priest again, with the whole Sanhedrin called to order, I see in their bold response some things that I believe can encourage us and strengthen us in our witness for God. The first thing I see here is that Peter and the apostles' bold reply is rooted in God's deliverance. It's rooted in God's deliverance. In verse 19, it says, But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. God delivered them from that jail. And he did it in such a way that the guards had no clue it had happened. Because when they went to get him the next morning when the Sanhedrin had been gathered and there were the high priest and all the officials gathered together, they sent the guards and they went and unlocked the door and there was nobody inside. I love that detail. The angel came, opened the door, it tells us, opened the door, and let him out, but when he closed it, he made sure it was locked. So that when they showed up to get him the next morning, they would know something miraculous had happened. The guards didn't see anything. Did they fall asleep? We don't know, it doesn't tell us, but they didn't see anything. 
and the door was still locked, God brought them deliverance. All throughout the Bible, we see God providing deliverance for his people. God calling Noah to build the ark to deliver Noah and his family from the flood. God empowering Moses to deliver the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. God enabling David to defeat Goliath and begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. God winning battle after battle after battle for the Israelites, delivering them from the enemies that surrounded them. All throughout the Bible, God brings deliverance to his people. And of course, the greatest deliverance is what? Jesus Christ. God gave us his son, Jesus. Christ delivered us from a kingdom of darkness and sin when he lived the life we could not live, and he died the death we should have died, and he rose again to give us a life we did not deserve, forgiveness we had not earned, salvation that we could not purchase. That, my friends, is the greatest deliverance, and it's in this deliverance that God begins to birth in us a boldness to be his witnesses, a boldness to share the truth about what he has done for us. We're not going out and talking about just some other person who's made a lot of money or built a business or gotten some law passed or gotten elected. We're not talking about those kind of people when we are talking about Jesus. We're not talking about somebody who's just really smart or somebody who knows how to throw a fastball 104 miles an hour or somebody who can catch a pass while they're falling out of bounds with one hand out on their fingertips. We're talking about Jesus Christ. And the story about Christ is not a story about us or anybody else who might be famous. It's a story, the true story about the one who came and set each and every one of us free. Free from sin, free from darkness, free from slavery, and gave us a new life and an eternal life. Our boldness comes, is founded, is rooted in that story, the most powerful, most important story that has ever been told in this world a story that has changed countless lives across the generations. Our boldness, their boldness, our boldness, it starts, it's founded in the deliverance that Jesus has provided for us. Second thing I see here, Peter and the apostles' bold reply is in obedience to God's directive. It's in obedience to God's direct directive. In verse 20, the angel of the Lord says to him, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. God delivered Peter and the other apostles. We don't know if it was all of them or just a handful of them, but we know Peter was among them. And it, it set, he set them free from the prison, but it was not for the purpose of them going home and being safe. He opened the door, 
he led them out. And the angel of the Lord spoke for the Lord and said, Go back to the temple where you got arrested. Go and tell them everything about this new life. There was no safety in that, was there? There was no security in that. There was no guarantee that things would not end up exactly the same way they did the first time. And in fact, that's what happened, wasn't it? They went back, they preached again, they taught the people about this new life, and they got arrested once more and brought before the high priest in the Sanhedrin. But here's the thing, they weren't concerned about being safe. They were, however, concerned about obeying God something that should concern all of us. Their boldness, which was rooted in God's deliverance, was also in obedience to God's directive to go. That's why they said to the high priest, we ought to obey God rather than men. Do any of y'all remember the story of David Wilkerson that uh, he wrote in a book called The Cross and the Switchblade? Any of y'all remember that story? I first encountered that in a comic book. Can you believe that? They did a comic book about that, and I read that, and I was fascinated by that when I was a kid. Um, it's a story of a man, named, a minister named David Wilkerson who followed God's calling, I think, in the 1960s, um, to leave his small town church and go and minister to the gangs in New York City. And at one point, he's talking to Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz was one of the toughest gang leaders in the whole city. And Nicky Cruz says to him, you come near me and I'll kill you. And David Wilkerson said, yeah, you could do that. You could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street, and every piece would still love you. David went to minister to those gangs, to share the gospel with those gangs, because God called him to. And to not go would be disobedient. Yes, it put him in danger. Yes, it put him in a place where he could be cut into a thousand pieces. These gang members didn't care about anybody. But David went, and David shared. And through God's power at work in him, David made a difference. Because that same Nicky Cruz came to faith in Christ, as did the leader of the opposite gang that they always fought with, as did many gang members and their girls. And David saw people delivered from drugs and sex and alcohol, delivered from slavery to the things of this world. They were delivered from that and into the kingdom of light and hope, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Understanding and being obedient to God's call and to share the good news, that gives us boldness. Have you ever been doing something and People have kind of opposed you and you thought, but I'm doing the right thing. 
ever thought that? I'm doing the right thing. If thinking that about just something that we do every day, like at work or wherever, can give us boldness and courage to continue to do the right thing, imagine what obedience to God can do. When God's word speaks and you say, yes, Lord, I'll do it, and you start doing it and somebody opposes that, you go, I am doing the right thing because God has called me to do this. So we see that in their response, that it was in obedience to God's directive. Third thing I see here is that Peter and the apostles' bold reply is highlighted by a gospel defense. In verse 30 through 32, um, they, after saying we should obey God instead of men, they said, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Do you see what they did? They said, we're going to obey God instead of men. And then they went straight to the gospel. They didn't talk about their feelings. They didn't talk about, you know, what they might think or not think. They didn't talk about what might be conflict or non-conflict. They didn't talk about where, for, you know, we know you might. They went straight to the gospel. And my friends, that's what boldness in our witness looks like. Yes, people come and talk to us. Yes, we spend time praying for them, brother. I love that. You know, that's a great way to begin to demonstrate God's love and care and your love and care for a person is to begin to pray for them. But it's got to come up to the gospel at some point, doesn't it? Because it's the gospel that saves. Not my prayers, not my invitation to church, not them sitting in a pew at your church, but the gospel the gospel is what saves the power of God at work in their hearts and lives as they are drawn to Christ and put their faith in Jesus, the one who gave his life for them. The apostles said, we're going to obey God. And then they rolled right into a declaration of the gospel. It was like they were saying, in my mind, this is how I phrase it, not only are we going to keep preaching the gospel, but we're going to do it right now, right here to you, Mr. High Priest, and all of your associates. It makes me think of uh, this summer, I went on a mission trip to Honduras, and um, we one, uh, one evening, we went to show the Jesus film in a little village called Las Palmas. And um, we set up in the middle of the village, and it wasn't a big village. I mean, literally, we, we drove in on this road, and we turned right, and we could have gone left, and there were some houses down that way. We went right, and then the road turned left again. I was, we turned right, yeah, left. If we went straight, it turned into a not only a one-lane bridge, but a one-lane walking bridge. And, but then the road went on that way back to some other houses. But that was pretty much it for the center of the village. And we set up right in the middle. We set up the screen and the table with the movie projector right there on that dirt road in the middle of that village. And we began to show the Jesus film. And people just started coming out of their houses. And some of them came out and sat on the ground. Some of them came out 
and set a piece of cardboard on the ground and then sat on the cardboard on the ground. Some of them had little plastic chairs, just like the kind we buy at Walmart and put on our porch, uh, our, our backyard. Uh, they brought their plastic chairs over and set them down and started watching this movie. And they just watched. And the whole time they were watching this movie, occasionally a car would come by or more often a motorcycle. A lot of people got around on motorcycles uh, there. And, and I'm not talking big Harley Davidsons. I'm talking about little tiny motorcycles that you zip around on. And, and they would come and just drive right through the middle of what we were doing. And, and the people who were watching knew this was going to happen, I think, because none of them sat in the middle of the road. They all sat on this side or on that side. We set the screen up so that there was a building behind it. So, you know, somebody couldn't drive straight through the screen. They had to, they went to the left of it. But they just kept coming through as we, as we showed the movie. And what was really neat, occasionally these motorcycles would drive through and then they would come back and then they would stop. And they'd park their motorcycle and the guys would sit on the, on the side of it watching. And then there was one guy who came out of his house and he spent almost the whole movie moving from little group to little group to little group, talking loudly to the people. And it was almost like he was intentionally trying to distract them from watching the movie. And this went on the whole time. And after about halfway through the movie, I'm like, this guy is trying to keep people from, from watching. And even if he isn't intentionally, Satan's trying to use him to keep people from watching. And so God just laid it on my heart to pray about that. And so I went back to the back where he was at that time, and I just stood there next to our van, and I just started praying about it. And I didn't know this, but one of the other guys, one of the other team members was standing back there as well. He was doing the same exact thing I was. He was praying about that guy too. And we found that out afterwards that we were doing the same thing, but we were both praying, Lord, don't let this guy keep people from hearing the gospel. Lord, if he's going to be a problem, just take him away. You know, just make him have to go to the bathroom or something. You know, whatever. Just get rid of him. Well, he stayed there and kept talking. At the end of the movie, the, the local pastor who we were working with, Pastor Franklin, he, he could have had us just pack everything up and go. But he didn't. He took the mic for the little sound system he had set up there, and he started to talk. And in a, you could hear it in his voice, the compassion and love that he had for these people. And he just began to share again the good news of Jesus with them. And then when he got done, I, he was speaking in Spanish, so I didn't understand 99% of what he was saying. I understood the, the name Jesus. I understood when he said God, that's the word Dios, but I didn't understand most of it. But when he got done, he was talking to him, and then he had him pray. And at the end of the prayer, he asked for everybody who had prayed to receive Christ that night to raise their hand. 
And several people did, including two of the guys sitting on the motorcycles. He could have said, you know, this isn't going to work. This guy's been disrupting everything. People haven't been paying attention. Cars and motorcycles have been driving back and forth through. People have been coming and going. Nobody was attentive enough to get the gospel. But Pastor Franklin didn't. Pastor Franklin was bold. Pastor Franklin was obedient. Pastor Franklin said, we got to get to the gospel. And I've got to talk about it with these people. And God was faithful to use that. And there were people saved that night. And I know Pastor Franklin has been going back to that village. And his hope and his plan is to help those people either to go to a local church there or if need be, start a new church. He already pastors too. And he started about 15 over the course of his career. That's what he'll do. That's what God wants us to do. When the opportunity comes up, depend on the Lord. Be bold. Be obedient. Get to the gospel. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people about the difference he has made in your life. Fourth thing I see here, Peter and the apostles' bold reply is fueled by God's divine power. Verse 38 and 39, this is uh, Gamaliel speaking. He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, I'm trying to do that in my best uh, lawyer voice because I think that's how he would have said it. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go for their purpose or activity is of human origin. It will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Did I sound like a lawyer? Probably not. Never mind. Misty's shaking her head now, so I failed. But anyways, here's the thing about that. This is one of the Pharisees, all right? He's a teacher. If you recognize his name, there's a reason. At one point, when Paul was younger, Gamaliel was his teacher, okay? So this is a guy we'll hear his name again in Scripture, He's standing there, and he makes this statement. They were wise words, but they were wiser than he realized. In fact, I think they were prophetic. It's not the only time God used somebody who was not a believer to say something prophetic. If you remember back in John chapter 11, uh, this comes right on the heels of Jesus raising Lazarus back to life. And the word and the message was going out about that. And more people were coming to faith in Jesus. And the, and the high priest, um, Caiaphas, and his associates were gathered together in meeting. And, and the high priest himself said this. Because they were wanting to, they were trying to decide, should we try to kill this guy or should we leave him alone? Because the people will get mad at us, Okay. And Caiaphas said this, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. Now, he was thinking politically, right? He was thinking, if we don't stop this rebellion that this Jesus guy is leading, 
the Romans are going to come in and take away our nation. But what God was saying through him, even though he didn't realize it is, that we need this one man to die to save this nation. My friends, we needed that one man, Jesus, to die to save all nations, including us. The Bible says without the, remi- the, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And we don't need the blood of a goat or a ram or a bull to save us because that has to be done over and over and over. But Jesus as the perfect sacrifice made perfect atonement for us. Dying once for all, all people and all time. Caiaphas didn't realize he was prophesying that, but he did. And Gamaliel didn't realize that what he was saying was true too and revealed the divine power of God. That if God's in it, you can't stop it. That if God's at work, you're just going to get in the way and eventually he'll move you out of the way because his will will prevail and his work will proceed. And if God is working in a person's life to bring them hope and salvation, my friends, the best thing to do is not get in the way, but to help it along to speak a word on behalf of your Savior with boldness, with truth, with clarity, get to the gospel. Because your bold reply that's done in obedience to God's directive, it will be fueled by God's divine power. Last thing I see here, Peter and the apostles' bold reply resulted in the daily proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 41 and 42 says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering grace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. All the meetings, all the councils, all the questioning, all the threatening, all the beatings, did not stop the message from going out. You want a modern day example of that? Look at communist China. Those believers over there are persecuted. Those believers are beat. They have their properties taken away from them. Their businesses taken away from them. But my friends, the church of Jesus Christ in China has grown leaps and bounds under persecution. There are more Christians in China, not only than there are in America, but I believe than there are in all the rest of the world put together. Millions upon millions, meeting in homes, in small churches, in secrecy, but they're meeting and they're sharing the gospel with boldness and courage in spite of the persecution. My friends, if we will be faithful. This is what God can do through us. If our boldness is rooted in his amazing deliverance through Jesus Christ, if our boldness is done in obedience to his directive to go and tell, if our boldness is used to highlight the gospel of love and grace, and if our boldness is fueled by God's divine power at work in us, God will work through us and use us 
to share the good news, and we'll see people in our families, in our community, in our neighborhoods, we'll see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. If I was doing this sermon like a typical sermon, and I've already blown that out of the water, you know, three points in a poem, right? Or three points in a sermon. I gave you five, sorry. But anyways, mine's five points. But I should end it with some kind of illustration, right, Brother Mark? A poem, a story, or something. But I'm not going to do that. And here's why. Here's why. Because I want you and I want your church to write the end. I want you to write the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey might call it. I want you to go out and be the witnesses in God's power, in obedience, in faithfulness, rooted in the salvation that God has given you. Go out, share the gospel, write the next chapter in the story of your church. Amen.